When I was a child, I remember going to church on Palm Sunday, and our church that I mostly grew up in as a small child would hand out these great big palm branches, and we'd be waving them around in the kids' class. It was great. It was wonderful. Um, The teacher would tell the story, and when the right time came, we'd all stand up and wave those things. And I'm not sure we all really understood the significance of it, but it it was really great. We really enjoyed it. Um, as an adult, though, many times, uh, you know, people stop making a big deal about Palm Sunday, and it's just one of the other Sundays, and I'm so glad that at South Oaks Church, we don't have to be that way. We can, we can get excited about that day. We can look at the account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem to cheering crowds. I won't ask you to wave those things, though. Uh, if you want to, though, go ahead, and um, all four Gospels have this account, and we're going to Today, we're going to read the account in Luke 19. So Luke 19, starting at verse 28, reading through verse 44. Some of your Bibles may say Jesus comes into Jerusalem as king. Some may say the triumphal entry. Uh, But verse 28, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Lord, we just pray that as we talk about this scripture, Lord, that you would just reveal things to us and show us, Father, the truths that we need in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is ministering to people right before this passage, and when he comes to Bethphage and Bethany, he sends two of his disciples on ahead to go into Jerusalem and to get the donkey colt. And we know this passage just calls it a colt, but we know from the other passages, for instance, in Matthew 21, Jesus tells them, go to the village ahead of you, and once you find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, and untie them and bring them to me. So this is a donkey that Jesus is going to ride in on. And riding into the city on a donkey was kind of a a Middle Eastern tradition. A donkey was seen as an animal of peace because the horse was an animal of war. So 
He's riding this donkey coming in to Jerusalem. And this is how a conquering king would enter the city because they're, they're coming now. The war is done. Now we have peace. And so uh, Jesus is riding in as a conquering king. But his palace that he's got isn't a kingly palace, but a spiritual one. And the people are shouting their praises openly. It's like Jesus normally is telling people not to tell anyone who he is. But now it's being proclaimed openly on the way from the Mount of Olives down to Jerusalem. And his claim to be the Messiah is made public. Jesus is riding down through the Mount of Olives. I don't know if any of you have ever been to this point in Jerusalem or seen pictures of it, but the Mount of Olives, then you would go down, and there's a valley there called the Kidron Valley, so you'd be going down there and then up to the Eastern Gate. And the Eastern Gate is also called in Scripture the Beautiful Gate or the Golden Gate. And in Hebrew, it's Sha'ar Harahamim, which means the Gate of Mercy or the Gate of Righteousness. And it's the gate that gives access to the temple site. Coming in that gate, the temple was right there. And Jewish tradition states that the Messiah will enter through the eastern gate when he comes to rule. So the passage uh, about this in the Old Testament that's prophetic about this is in Ezekiel 43. And it talks about uh, the glory of the Lord entering through the gate. Ezekiel 43 says, Then the man brought me to the gate facing east and i saw the glory of the god of israel coming from the east his voice was like the roar of rushing waters and the land was radiant with his glory the vision i saw was like the vision i had seen when he came to destroy the city and like the visions i had seen by the kabar river and i fell face down the glory of the lord entered the temple through the gate facing east then the spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. I just love that part about this is where the soles of my feet are going to be, you know, like the presence of God in that place at that time and then for us that we have the presence of god here in this place it's like things have changed since jesus died and and rose again and the holy spirit is in our lives now that we can experience that presence of god in such a powerful way and when jesus entered through the gate on palm sunday uh, which wasn't called palm sunday what whatever it was called back then on that day Uh, It wasn't the time for him to come to rule. And this was a prophetic statement, though, about when he would come someday. He's going to return to earth and enter through that eastern gate and set up his kingdom. The significance of this gate was that it was the one that kings and princes would enter through into the city of Jerusalem. And the spreading of the cloaks before him, they take off their outer coats and they'd lay him down And uh, the significance of that was honor and homage to the king or the prince who was entering. In fact, you can see they did it in the Old Testament because in 2 Kings 9.13, it's talking about they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps and they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. This is another time a guy is made king and uh, uh, an earthly king, but they're spreading their cloaks there. 
So we see that this is an act of homage that's reserved for royalty. It's an act of honor. And the people here are thinking that Jesus is this messianic deliverer. And, he, and they want him to lead a revolt against Rome. And the pr- palm branches that they're waving actually were a symbol of victory, of triumph, and peace. And they're signaling the end of the conflict. Uh, the people shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is part of what they call the Hallel. And the Hallel is Psalm 116 to 118. And they, they uh, would say all of those verses of those those three psalms at special times of the year and their expressions of thanksgiving and joy for divine redemption. And so the people would have known all of those verses because they would recite them from memory during several times, one of which was Passover. And uh, in fact, in Psalm 118, 19 through 27, it sounds a little like what's been happening here in this triumphal entry. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us with bows in hand. Join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. So, Lord save us. That's actually the English translation of the word Hosanna. Hosanna means Lord save us, and they're shouting and acting out this portion of the psalm as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And they actually were probably thinking they knew just what was going to happen next. And they didn't see him yet as the Savior in a spiritual sense. They were thinking that he was going to do something else. And so in a few days, all these hosannas, when things don't happen the way they think they will, they turn into crucify him. And because Jesus didn't gather any troops, they were upset. Uh, There's heavy taxes and restrictions from the Romans, and so they wanted him to lead them out from under that oppression but he didn't do what they expected. I'm not even sure at this time that the disciples knew what was going on for sure. I mean, they they probably thought, this is really great. Jesus is getting some recognition for what he's been doing. Finally, the people are understanding who he is. But even they, we know, didn't fully get it. Because later, Peter says, you know, when Jesus was saying, you know, I'm headed toward the cross, Peter would say, don't say that. You're going to make everybody be upset. So they didn't even fully understand what was going on here. And maybe the fact that Jesus didn't then begin this big revolt, capture the people's attention and run off and go against the Romans, maybe that's why Judas, who was so focused on material things, actually got disappointed and said, I'm going to betray Jesus. Unmet expectations. And the Pharisees, they didn't like this at all. They're telling him, hey, Stop that right now. Tell your people to be quiet. Because they didn't want anything to upset this cozy relationship that they had with the Romans. You know, the Romans had allowed the Pharisees to have this limited amount of power, and they didn't want that to go away. They knew if that the people got carried away and this all went the wrong way as they saw it, then they knew that the that, you know the Romans could squash it, and then they would lose the limited power they had. They didn't want things to change. They wanted it to stay the way it was. 
And in verse 41, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, it says that he wept over the city and the people. He says, if you, even you, had known what would bring you peace on this day, if only you'd known. But now it is hidden from your eyes. What do you think Jesus is talking about there? What's he talking about when he says, if you'd only known? I think what he's talking about here, as we see, is that he's talking about the peace of God. Because later he talks about where it's not going to be peaceful. He's talking about the peace of God that comes through accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. Not the physical peace of Jerusalem, which is what the people were looking for. They're looking for something in the natural and the physical, something political. And Jesus is talking about something that's going to affect everybody's soul and spirit. When we turn our lives over to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there's a true peace, an eternal peace that we can have. And then it tells, uh, Jesus says, the truth is hidden from your eyes. And what he's talking about there is that the devil had blinded them to the truth. But even more than that, these people didn't even really want the truth. They wanted it to stay with what they thought and what they wanted. They didn't want the truth. They wanted their own agendas. So Jesus is talking about the future of what's going to happen in Jerusalem, that enemies are going to come and destroy the city and the people in it because they didn't recognize this time of God coming to them. Had the people understood who Jesus was, they would have recognized this time, this Kairos moment of God's coming, the time of the Savior, with God incarnate, Jesus Christ. God in the flesh was coming to save them from their sins. It, was a, it wasn't a salvation in the natural. It was a salvation in the spiritual. But there was this excitement of the day. And everyone's out there. And you know when you're with a big crowd and things start being, you know, the excitement. Like when you go to a game and it seems like the team's winning. You know, everybody's like all excited, right? And there's just this crowd mentality, this whole crowd experience. They're all just, yeah, Hosanna and blessed be him who comes in the name of the Lord. They're all excited. They're, they're going with that. But they're missing the big point. They didn't receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. So for us, how can we today really receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord? Well, the first thing is that we need to make sure that we get rid of any preconceived ideas about what Jesus is going to do for us. These people had preconceived ideas of how it was supposed to go, and because of that, they couldn't receive what God had for them. And when we follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, not all of our wants and, and desires are going to come to pass. We, we all know that, right? I mean, the future, though, isn't going to necessarily go the way we think it will. We can have plans and ideas, and, and things go a little differently maybe. Uh, look at Joseph in the Old Testament, as we've talked about before. I mean, all that he went through to get to that place of second-in-command with Pharaoh, the pit, the ridicule of his brothers, uh, the prison, I don't think he would have probably thought that was how he wanted it to go. But it was all part of God's plan to get him to where he was supposed to be. Same with Paul, a writer of much of the New Testament. Um, I'm sure the beatings, the attempts on his life, the shipwrecks, and then finally being um, killed for his faith, I'm sure this was not stuff that he would have had as a preconceived idea. But the thing that made both of these people be able to experience what God had for them is that they 
put aside those preconceived ideas and received what God had for them. Uh, when things seem to go wrong, I mean, there's like lots of other people in the Bible we can look at for that. Uh, I don't think any of these people would have traded their relationship with Jesus Christ, though, or with God for anything that the world could have to offer. When things aren't going right, we just need to turn them over to Jesus Christ. We acknowledge him as Lord over all, all of our circumstances, all of the things that are happening for us, and all the things that we would want to see, we turn all that over to Jesus Christ and make him Lord over it. We surrender our rights. You know, how many times have things happened to you and you think, God, this isn't fair. And we need to get rid of that preconceived idea that everything should go right, everything should be fair, and surrender it to Jesus Christ and trust him to lead us. I was talking with someone this week and I mentioned this, these two verses because they're so good about that very thing. Romans eight thirty eight and 39. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So when we're following Jesus Christ, we are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So what that's talking about is that as we follow Jesus Christ, he has determined ahead of time that what is happening to us should conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Um, It says that it works together for good, but that doesn't mean that everything that happens is good. It means that God uses it for our good. And what is our good is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So group question, what does it mean to be conformed? Y'all are shy this morning. Changed. Do you like the thing you're conforming to? Mm-hmm. That's a good answer. Anyone else want to say anything? Conformed. It's Joel's really said very close thing to what it is. You are changed, but it's being changed into the thing you're being conformed to. Like conform means that you're kind of pressed into a mold and the impression of the original is made on you. So that would be like, uh, how many of you guys had uh, Play-Doh for your kids or grew up with Play-Doh? Okay, yeah, most of us know what Play-Doh is. So what happens if you like leave the cover off and it gets a little dry. Um, what happens when you try to press the Play-Doh into those molds then? Yeah, it crumbles, it falls apart, it breaks. Um, if it's too dry, it cracks. I mean, you all know what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, the, and the neat thing with Play-Doh is you can add some water to it and cover it back up again. It gets soft again, right? That's kind of like us. If we get kind of dry and, you know, the little bit of not spending enough time with God, not spending enough time reading his word, not spending enough time in his presence, and we get a little dry, just add a little water of God's presence of the Holy Spirit, we can get back to where God can use us and mold us into his image again. So we don't want to let the trials of our life mold, uh, you know, dry us out and make our hearts uh, hard and brittle, but we want to let God mold us into that image. So we become like little representations of Jesus Christ here on earth. Let him conform us to the image of his son. 
So that's what it means when it says that all things work together for good, is that we become molded into his image of who he is. Um, Our ideas of how our lives should go when we follow him have to be laid down at the foot of the cross. We need to die to self and live to Jesus Christ. Luke 9.23 says, Jesus told them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And the crowds along the way there on that day, on what we call Palm Sunday, the crowds along that way, they they really didn't want to do that. They didn't want to deny themselves. They didn't want to deny what they wanted. They had preconceived ideas about who Jesus was was supposed to be they didn't want to let that be laid down at the foot of of a cross or deny themselves and follow him they had expectations and they had wishes and they weren't really accepting jesus as lord and savior so we need to make sure that when we lay it down at the foot of the cross see that's when jesus can resurrect the things that are of him in our lives he can use us and change us, and help us become who we were meant to be. So we need to really receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord by getting rid of preconceived ideas about what God's going to do in our lives. And the second thing we need to do is watch for God's move in our life. Uh, There are things that God does in our lives to move us to the next thing in him. And in verse 44, Jesus said, People, if you'd only known as he's weeping over these people... You could have had peace, not just a political peace, but a spiritual peace, an eternal peace, a personal peace. We can be looking so hard for those things that we think we need that we miss what God is trying to do in our lives. The really important things, the things that will make us into who we were meant to be. And this actually is what will make us be happy, what will make us be fulfilled when we follow him and see his hand leading and guiding us for what he has next. But it starts with repentance. Repenting of the ways we've gone after things just for ourselves. Repenting of the things that haven't been what God wants us to do. And then receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, trusting him, opening our hearts for what he has for us, and watching daily for what is God showing me today? You know, it begins with prayer, listening to God, reading his word and meditating on it, like Pastor Steve was talking about a few weeks ago. We need to meditate. It means we, we read it, and then we think about it during the day, and we pray about it, and we ask God to apply it to us. It's like we don't just read it, and that's it for the day and go on. And I know that's kind of hard with trying to read three or four chapters a day in the read through the Bible thing, right? But you should find there's something in there that speaks to you, even reading that big chunk of scripture, um, really find some nugget there for you each day and allow God to keep bringing that up in your mind. Maybe you're having lunch and you think back about what did I read this morning? Oh yeah. Think about it again and see, God, you know, what, what do you want to say to me through that? And really hear what he has for you. And then look to what God will show you to do. Maybe you've got a coworker that's really going through a tough time. And this coworker just needs to be shown kindness and acceptance that you can give them. Sometimes that's hard with people because they're not nice people. Or they're people that are doing things that you know you would never do. But that doesn't mean you don't show love. That doesn't mean you don't show acceptance. That doesn't mean that you... Because 
guess what? God can get a hold of their hearts. God can use you to show the love of God to them. And the Holy Spirit will convict them and bring them to him, to Jesus Christ. Or maybe there's a family member who just needs encouragement and prayer. Uh, We want to see what God is doing and how we can be part of what he's doing. What is he doing in our lives? But first we have to take the focus off of ourselves and have to look at him. The purpose of our lives really isn't to be happy. The purpose of our life isn't even to be fulfilled. The purpose of our life is summed up in a command that Jesus talked about. Um, He was talking to a man, and the man said, you know, God... Uh, Jesus said, what's the most important thing? And the man said, well, in Luke 10, 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we make that our first priority, to love God with all of who we are, our minds, our hearts, our emotions, our bodies, our strength, everything about us, to love God. Then the cool byproduct of all of this is we are happy and we are fulfilled. And all of those things we think life should be about, God just pours them out on us when we're following him and doing, yes, there's toughness. Yes, there's trials. But in the middle of all of that, we have God's love and peace and strength when we're following him and doing what he is showing us to do. We need to see what God is moving and doing in our lives. And then the third thing, to really receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, I'm doing a little twist on a thing, is carpe kairos. Carpe kairos. Carpe diem means seize the day. I'm all about, you know, taking advantage of what God has for me each day. But I want to be in the kairos of what God has for me. Kairos is an appointed time. Kairos is like a season. It's more than just one thing. And so that means seize what God has. In other words, don't miss God's timing. These people that Jesus was weeping over were missing what God had from that t- in that time. Don't miss God's timing. First uh, Chronicles 12.32 is talking about these men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs and all their relatives under their command. This is a great group of people that could understand what God was going to do. They saw the timing of God. They saw the Kairos moment and knew what Israel should do. In our lives, there's things that God has for us. There's uh, timing for things. And if we're looking at what God's doing and moving then we don't miss the timing of things. We, we won't miss what God has for us. There's opportunities that we have when we're following God's will and ministering to others. In Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, it says, There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And when you look at the original language there, season means appointed time. This word is actually like talking about like a kairos moment. Um, activity there for every activity is really the purpose, the divine pleasure of Yahweh, the divine pleasure of God. So there's a Kairos time and season, a time uh, and a Kairos moment for every purpose of God. 
under the heavens. And I want to be part of that. Like the men of Issachar, all of us, I'm sure, want to be part of those, not miss those times, those appointed times, and know what our role is to do when we see it. What is the purpose of God for this time, and what am I supposed to do? That's what we should be looking for and asking God for wisdom on. Today, we live in a world that's full of chaos. It's full of disunity. It's, it's blame and lies and hatred all around us in the world. But we need to be standing out as different than that and be people of peace, people who stand for love and God's unity, people whose lives are markedly different because of that than those around us. Yes, we're working a job. Yes, we're driving our cars. Yes, we're doing all those things. But who we are, our identity is not in all of that. It's in Jesus Christ. And so we stand like lighthouses for people around us that can draw them to see the light of God in us and draw them to Jesus Christ to guide them to know who he is. That's our purpose in our Kairos moment. Um, Esther, remember we, we studied Esther a while ago and in Esther 4, 14, it talks about in the second half of the verse there, it says, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this, for such an appointed time, for such a divine purpose of Yahweh. What is God showing you today? What is the thing that God has put you in this time, in this place, to do? There's things that God's going to show us. There's things that God's going to call us to. Today, we want to seize those times, seize that opportunity, and do what Jesus Christ calls us to do. We want to really receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We want to get rid of any preconceived idea of what that's going to look like because we want to be open and watching for the move of God in our lives and seize that opportunity, seize that moment, that purpose of God for our lives. Who knows but that you have been chosen for such a time as this. Would you stand with me as we close? Today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, I'd encourage us all to really receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives. So if you just bow your head as we close here. If you realize that you've not ever really made that commitment to Jesus Christ to follow him as your Lord and your Savior. And today you say, you know, I want to make that commitment today. I want to make that solid today. I want to give my life to him. And I want to follow him with all of my strength, my heart, my mind, my, everything I am. To thank Jesus for what he did for you, for dying on the cross and for giving you of your sins when you ask him to. If you really want to make him Lord of your life today, just everyone's heads bowed, just raise your hand if you want to say, I'm making a statement today. I really want to make him Lord of my life. Okay, thank you. If you would say today, you know, I want to be aware of the times and I want to know what to do. I want to be like the men of Issachar. I want to find my purpose. 
I want to do God's pleasure in my life, to be a lighthouse in this world of spiritual darkness so I can help point people to Jesus Christ. If you make that commitment today, just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Lord God, I thank you that when you came into Jerusalem on that day, Lord, there were so few people who understood the significance of it. And we have the benefit of looking backwards toward that day, and we do understand the significance, that you were entering as the king, as the Lord and Savior, that when we take advantage of that, when we receive what you have given us through your death and resurrection, you can be Lord of our lives. And so, Lord, today we want to surrender everything we are to you. We want to be all in. We don't want to be like those people who were like, yeah, yeah, everything's going great, yeah. And then two days later or three days later, they're saying crucify him. Lord, I pray that no matter what we're going through, we would trust you with it, Lord, that we would give ourselves to you. And Father, I pray that you would use us like the men of Issachar to see what you're doing around us and in us, that you would use us to accomplish your will in this world. Father, that we would see what you're doing and that we would know what to do as we listen to you. And Father, I pray that you would use us to accomplish your will at this time. Lord, help us stand out as people of, of, of God, that uh, people would see you in us, Jesus, and that they would be drawn to you through what, what we do each day. Lord, help us not to get sucked into the lies of the enemy about what's important. but that we would really trust you, Lord God. That we would be people of peace, people of hope, people of joy, people showing your love to those around us. We thank you, Father, for what you've spoken to us today. We do, Lord, thank you that you want to give us more of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.